Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series, Life in His Name, where we are exploring the seven signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John. Greetings, Stony Plain Alliance Church. Everyone has been sending out their COVID-19 updates, and I'm sure by now you've received ours. Uh, I've been working on this stuff almost nonstop for the last few days uh, because we want to help our community to respond in a way that isn't fear-based or ambivalent. We've just wanted to make wise decisions for our community. Uh, We are concerned about uh, your care and your safety, and at the same time, uh, we just want to build a strong, thriving church community. And so uh, we make that announcement with great hope that we'll continue to be the church. And as leaders, we are committed to leveraging the resources that God has given us to continue to provide you with means to thrive and flourish spiritually and relationally in the midst of this really, really trying time. I am hopeful that we will rise up as a church community in the tri-region area to tell a different story and to share a different hope with our friends and our neighbors. Uh, We've been working through the Gospel of John And uh, Matt and I were talking about how providential uh, this series seems right now. So uh, as we begin, I'm going to read from John's Gospel, John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17 from the message. So John 5, 1 to 17, hear the word of the Lord. Soon after the feast came around, Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda with five alcoves, hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, and paralyzed were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man said, sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. That day happened to be the Sabbath. The Jews stopped the healed man and said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bedroll around. It's against the rules. But he told them, the man who made me well told me to. He said, take your bedroll and start walking. They asked, who gave you the order to take it up and start walking? But the healed man didn't know, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And later Jesus found him in the temple and said, you look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to a sinning life or something worse might happen to you. The man went back and told the Jews what Jesus Uh, that it was Jesus who made him well. That's why the Jews were out to get Jesus, because he did this kind of thing on the Sabbath. But Jesus defended himself. My father is working straight through, even on Sabbath. So am I. The word of the Lord. So I've been thinking a lot about suffering lately, because three out of the seven signs that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John are healing miracles. And one is an all-out resurrection story. So remember that these signs are... uh, small stories that point us forward to a larger story. And so John wants us to see Jesus as God's son, and he wants us to put our trust in him so that we can receive life in his name. And these miracles remind me that we live in a suffering world, and that if we're to find real life in Jesus' name, that they have to be in the midst of a suffering world, and even in the midst of our own suffering. So these healing miracles, I think, bring us face-to-face with Jesus, working in a suffering world to bring indestructible and full life to us. It's not outside of this. It's not sort of in the perfect location. It's not a a Pollyanna story. 
it's a story that happens and unfolds right in the midst of a suffering world to suffering people and for suffering people. And so in the face of, you know, something like this coronavirus, we are reminded of our absolute fragility and our helplessness. And I think the first thing that this sign at the pool in Jerusalem points to is our utter helplessness in the face of suffering. So there's this pool in Jerusalem. We're not really sure what stirred the waters, but the belief was that an angel came and stirred the waters and the first person into the water would be healed. And so you can imagine the pool is surrounded by disabled people, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, people who have no life, but they're waiting for the water to ripple and they would line up and would try to be the first one into the pool to be healed. And you can imagine how everyone would race to the edge. Maybe there'd be some jostling, maybe the odd elbow or hip check. It was a survival of the fittest sick person. One man had been there for 38 years. He lays by this pool every day, just in arm's length of a new life, and it never came. And that's the reality with suffering. It can go on for so long that we lose hope. We, we lie on the mats of our circumstances, and we watch other people rush by in pursuit of their own healing and their own happiness. And it seems like we're at the back of the line. And we come to believe that we're unnoticed by God and by others. And it's, it's a really lonely place to live. Close to a healing source, but no healing. And I think the reality is, is that all of us are ultimately finite and limited in the face of what seems like infinite and unlimited suffering. We're, we're helpless. And I think that's why there's such fear around the outbreak of this virus that we don't have any cure for. It seems unlimited. And we know that we're very limited and fragile. But secondly, the sign also points to a God who helps the helpless. This man didn't know who Jesus was. And so you can imagine his surprise when Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Uh, of course, he says, but when the water stirred, I don't have anyone to help me get into the pool. Someone else always gets in there first. He's implying to Jesus really, hey, are you volunteering to take me to the pool? And then Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. You see, in this, in this man's view, he could not win for losing. Uh, what did Jesus infer by asking, do you want to be, be healed? Of course he did, but he couldn't because the odds were stacked against him. And this man had lost hope and his focus now even is not, is not even on his healing. It's on the unfairness of it all. He believed that he was helpless. He's eaten up by the helplessness of his situation and the advantage that everyone else seems to have over him. Yet Jesus didn't pass him by. Rather than having to go to the source of healing, the source of healing comes to him. And I think the good news that we see in Jesus is that God won't pass us by, even when our suffering drives us to complain and to feel sorry for ourselves. And I'm not suggesting that we lay around feeling sorry for ourselves. Don't hear what the text is not saying. The text is not suggesting that we have self-pity, but what Jesus demonstrates is that we have a God who actually is able to and will help those who are discouraged and are filled with self-pity and disappointment and suffering. The good news is that God has not abandoned people in their suffering. He hasn't abandoned us who are limited in our ability to deal with suffering. In, uh, and he, and he's, uh, he continues to draw near to us, even in the midst of our suffering. And Jesus addresses this man as a suffering human being. He recognizes this man's grief, and he's drawn to him above everyone else. He's the weakest of the weak, and this is the one that Jesus goes to. I think one of the characteristic marks of the church has been helpful compassion, not fear or indifference. In the midst of suffering, 
Christian organizations historically have been help to the suffering in our world. Christians and churches have started hospitals and orphanages and rescue missions. Christians have, have gone into war zones to care for the dying and the sick. Christians have dug wells and provided helpful development to address poverty. Th this is because we want to be an expression of God's health to those who are suffering. And I think that in this particular time, the church is called to rise up once again with the unmatchless love and compassion of Jesus. May we not only experience God's help, he's there to help us, but may we also be help to those who are suffering. And then thirdly, this sign points to God's ability to redeem and restore all suffering. Notice that this, this sign takes place on the Sabbath. The Gospels record seven different Sabbath miracles, and almost all of them are Jesus' initiative, just as in the story. This man is not looking for Jesus to heal him. He didn't ask Jesus. In fact, he's implying that Jesus would carry him down to the water if he wanted to help. But it's as if Jesus purposely wants to heal on the Sabbath. And by doing so, he actually brings out a point of controversy that helps us understand what this sign is pointing to. Healing on the Sabbath was mind-blowing in this culture. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees had taken the Sabbath law and they placed extra rules around the Sabbath so that people didn't break the Sabbath. You see it in this story. When the, when the Pharisees, who are kind of like the Sabbath police, see this man carrying his mat on the Sabbath, they say, hey, you're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath, to which he responds, that guy who healed me told me to do it. It's interesting that he blames Jesus for his breaking of the Sabbath, the one who healed him. It's rather ironic. In fact, most commentaries suggest that this isn't a very likable character because one, he's full of self-pity, and secondly, he just blames Jesus. He throws Jesus under the bus, so to speak. And then when Jesus is finally confronted by the Sabbath police because he's healing on the Sabbath, Jesus says, my father is still working and I am also working. What does he mean? I believe it's this. I believe that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and to us, even while you rest because of your limits, the infinite and unlimited God sustains and even heals on the sacred set apart Sabbath. God is at work even when we're not able to work. God doesn't have the same limits that we do, so he can go on. It's as if Jesus is saying, my father and I created this good world, and then we rested. That was the first Sabbath. We weren't tired, but we stepped back and we enjoyed the creative handiwork. But then sin entered the world, and through sin came sickness and tragedy and death. And from that moment, my father and I have been working. We've been working in many ways to restore to restore the world to wholeness and goodness and rest. We've been working to overcome sin and sickness and death. And when I heal a man and intentionally do it on the Sabbath, I'm showing you something. I'm showing you a world in which there's no sickness and suffering and death. My father is working until now and I'm working and we will never rest until it's done. The sign of healing at the pool points to the inbreaking of God's kingdom into our world in the midst of suffering to help us. But it also points us forward to God's ultimate work of redemption. God is gonna bring healing, ultimate healing into our world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe that God will sovereignly redeem every ounce of suffering for our good in the process. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8. I'm gonna read excerpts from it. It's, it's quite long, but, but I want you just to follow along because I think I think it's brilliant, and I think that Eugene Peterson writes it in such a brilliant way. So just, just listen 
listen, maybe you even want to close your eyes as I read this. So Paul writes, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. But it's not only around us, it's also within us. These sterile, barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting doesn't diminish us. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us get along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, and definitely not COVID-19. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing dead or living, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, unthinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. This is God's word. May God grant us the grace to trust Jesus, even when we feel helpless in the face of our own limits, knowing that through Jesus, he's able to redeem and overcome suffering for us. I want to invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness toward us through him. We thank you for the cross and we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, the one who entered into suffering for us and defeated suffering and sin for us on the cross, giving us new life and ultimate life through the resurrection. We give you thanks for all of those things. Fill our hearts and our minds with hope in the midst of these days. Help us to live lives of love, extravagant love and sacrifice in the face of fear and uncertainty. Help us to turn outward to people that we love, people who God loves in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools. And let us be the hands and feet of Christ in the midst of a suffering world, even as we too suffer. Help us to tell a different story. Help us to share a different hope. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.